Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. All right, so uh, let me get into this. Uh, today we're going we're gonna to be going into a story uh, that's a very familiar story in the Old Testament. Um, but before we do that, I want to... I want you to think about, have you ever celebrated something a little too soon? Uh, there's, a, there's a video that goes around the internet. I, I watch a lot of sports stuff. Um, and so when you watch a lot of sports stuff, you see this video that comes on every now and then. And it's, it's a video of a guy uh, a number of years back playing for the Los Angeles Lakers. And he shoots a three-point shot right from the top of the circle. And as the ball is up in the air, this guy, he thinks... He's like, that shot's going in. And he turns around, and he puts his hands up in the air and starts walking back to the other end of the court. And all you see behind him is the ball hitting the rim and pounding off the, the rim for like 30 feet. Totally missed a shot. And he looks, he looks around him, and he realizes the shot didn't go in. And the look, like his shoulders just slumped. And he's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I did that. that the thing about... Uh, Cheering for yourself too quickly, it can be really embarrassing. I've done that before in my own life. Uh, there was a time, and you guys know I love the Vikings. Uh, the best season that they ever had was 1998. And hearing the word 1998 in, in regard to the Vikings is like a cuss word to me. Because um, they, they had a great season. They were 15-1. and one. They were the best offense that had ever played in the National Football League at that point. Randy Moss was a rookie. He was killing everybody that year. It was just fun to watch. And they get to the NFC Championship game, which is, for those who don't know football very well, it's the game before the Super Bowl. They're playing in Minneapolis. It's a home game against the Atlanta Falcons, and we are playing good that day. We're playing really, really good. And I'm starting to get excited. Now, the Super Bowl was going to be in Miami that week. Here's the reason why I remember that the Super Bowl was going to be in Miami. It's because as the Vikings were winning the game, I was prancing around my house singing Will Smith's Welcome to Miami song. Welcome to Miami, Invenido. I don't want to do the whole thing. It's not, it's not pretty. But I was getting really excited. I'm like, the Vikes are going to Miami. We're going to play in the Super Bowl. We're going to win. And then we missed a really easy field goal. We gave up the lead, and we lost in overtime. I had to go to basketball practice that night in tears. It was an awful, awful moment in my life. But I realized then, especially when it comes to cheering for the Vikings, don't cheer too early. Don't celebrate too early. Now, I mean, I'll see zeros on the clock, and I'm still like, where's the flag? We're, we're supposed to lose. I know it. Um, I, don't like to, I don't like to celebrate anymore. And, and a lot of you, you've, you've felt that at some time in your life. It can happen in every walk of life. You could be a baker, and you're, you're getting this batter going, and you're like, oh, man, this batter is looking good today. And you put it in the oven. The kids are crying. You forget about it. You burn the stuff. You celebrate it too early. Uh, we all celebrate too early at times, and it comes back to bite us. I know as a parent, you come home with that newborn, and you're like, man, my kid sleeps so well. I, I have the best baby. I have the jackpot of all babies. And after three weeks, they, they don't fall asleep again for the next five years. There's something, those kids, they know how to get you. Um, I don't know if you heard it. Uh, I just got to say this. Little Millie Hopkins, she started doing this thing this week. Um, where she goes all the time. And during Quinn's last prayer, I heard her doing that, and it was the best thing I've heard all day. It was awesome. Babies are great. Uh, we have learned to become pessimistic people. 
If you've been alive long enough, like you, you just know, don't celebrate too early. But you put that thinking into the context of faith. And I don't think that that jives very well with the context of faith. To be pessimistic people. I think a lot of people through the years, um, you know, we've talked about this plenty of times, but a lot of people throughout the years, they, they come to almost expect that the church might even hurt them. They've experienced hurts from the church, and so they expect that that's going to happen. And I'll be honest, I've I've experienced church hurts, but there's also, for some reason, God has kind of shielded me from getting completely negative on it. I still still believe in that there's this unending good thing that God's going to bring about through the church. And my hope is that as, as followers of Jesus that every single one of us could say, you know what, I love my church because I believe that there is always a future victory in store for my church. That is one thing that I, I hope every single one of us, we could, we could say that about church. And here's the thing, I'm not even saying that just about Central Christian Church. Now I do believe that God's got good things in store for the future of Central Christian Church. But if you look at scripture, I think it's clear that God has good things in store for the universal church. God is going to do things, whether, whether it's with our help or not, God is going to do good things in the church and through the church. If there's one thing that I can walk around and be confident about, it is that. Is that God has a future in store that is good. And I think the true test for us is whether or not we are willing to thank God for a victory that sometimes we don't see taking place. We've all been in those spots before. Like, I just, I know I'm supposed to believe a victory for this. I know I'm supposed to believe that God is going to do awesome things, but I don't see it. And so it's hard for me to thank God for it ahead of time. But one of the, one of the people on our teaching team, as we were talking through this message, they said something I thought was really profound. They said, if we thank God for a victory, that's gratitude. When we thank God for a victory beforehand, that's faith. When we thank God after a victory, it's gratitude. When we thank God beforehand, before the victory comes, it's faith. And I'll be honest with you, I I don't know if we're always faithful people. Gratitude is great. And and I think most of us, when God does things in our lives, we have plenty of gratitude. Thanks, God, for that. But being followers of Jesus, it actually means we're called to be people of faith. But it's not always easy for us to be people that thank God for things before we actually see the victory take place. It's just not easy. It means that we have to actually believe in something that we don't see ahead of time. And and today we're actually going to look into this story. It's the story of Jonah. And I'm going to be honest with you. The story of Jonah, when you first look at it, it's like, it seems like kind of a pessimistic type of of a book. Jonah seems to be kind of a pessimistic kind of guy. But there's a part in this story That as you look at it, you go, now that, that is faith. That is thanking God before something good actually happens. I think we're going to see this in the story. So Jonah was a prophet of God. Jonah Jonah was uh, told by God to do something and he wasn't excited about it. We're going to read at the beginning of this this entire book, Jonah chapter 1, starting off with verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, I think it's really important for us to actually get a visual. As we go through this story, it's important to get a visual of 
the place that Jonah was at when God spoke to him, the place that he was called to go to, and the place that he actually tried to go to. So I got a, a little map up here that shows where Tarshish, by the way, just say the word Tarshish one time. Go. It's fun, right? It's a fun word to say, Tarshish. Um, I'm going to say as many times as I can today. So he is told, you see where Joppa is. He's around Joppa at the time that God tells him that he's got to go to this place called Nineveh, which is 550 miles away towards, it looks like, the northeast. I think I got that right. Okay. He decides to get on a boat and go almost five times further away to this place called Tarshish. Tarshish. Love it. I've read this story countless times before. I've heard this story countless times before. And I'm going to be honest, I've never looked at where, where it was that he was actually going to. And it's crazy to me that God told him to go to a specific place. And he's like, you know what, I'm going to go five times further away in the exact opposite direction. This guy wanted nothing to do with the, the city of Nineveh. He hated the city of, of Nineveh. Hated the people there. And so what did he do? He ran from God. We have all run from God. We read these Bible stories and we're like, oh man, I'm so, much, so glad I'm better than that person. You're not better than Jonah, all right? We've all run from God in our own various ways. Have you ever heard God's word or you've read God's word or you've listened to a sermon and, and you felt like God was telling you to do something and you decided not to do it? It's amazing what happens when we get outside the doors after we've been in church and all the things that God was being like, you should think about this. And you walk out and you're like, oh, I'm glad I got that pressure off me. We walk away from it. We run from God. Have you ever let your life get so busy that you, you all of a sudden find yourself not taking time for prayer, for worship, or, or maybe going to church? We've run away from God a little bit. Have you ever let fear dictate your decisions rather than faith? Have you ever stubbornly gone your own way when you knew for sure that there, there was a right way to go and you were choosing not to go there? Now, I, I shared something with our difference makers. We, we have a huddle every morning at 840 before we have start service, everybody that's serving. And, and I shared something with them from a, a lady named Christine Kane this morning. She was talking about this story uh, of Jonah in one of the devotionals I was reading. And she said this, if you want to flee from God's purposes, you will always find help. The devil will always, metaphorically speaking, make sure that a ship is in port to take you as far outside of, God as, uh, of the will of God as possible. But the price of the fare for that getaway is always far heavier than the price of obedience. I don't know if that rings a bell in your own life, if it rings true. But when God is calling you to something, when God is saying, hey, here's where, here's where I'd like you to go, the enemy is always going to put Put a ship in your place that you can get on and go in the opposite direction. And the enemy likes to make that ship look really enticing. Uh, I was mentioning to the difference makers, sometimes after I preach the second sermon on Sunday morning at the 1030 service, the introvert in me wants to go and walk over into my office and just be done. But that's taking the ship in the opposite direction instead of going out and, and talking with people and being, being a part of your life. We all have that ship that we can get on that takes us in the opposite direction where God wants us to go. And what happens here in this story is when we, when we go in that opposite direction, not necessarily by consequence, but by simply God wanting to redirect us, he has to change the direction. And so in this story of Jonah, 
God gives redirection to Jonah. And I'm telling you, the redirection is not comfortable. The redirection is really kind of painful. It starts in verse 4. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. All right, so we've got this ship full of men who are terrified as this storm has happened. It's come upon them. And all these guys, they, they don't follow Jonah's God. They follow some other God. And, and they're, they're thinking, one of us has done something that the gods are against. And they're taking lots to try to figure it out. Well, Jonah, before they got into the boat, he had actually told them, I'm running from God. It literally says that in this, later on in this chapter, that he told them I was running from God. And so they figured out, hey, it's Jonah. Jonah's the reason why this storm is happening, why it seems like somebody wants us dead. But it's amazing. These guys, these guys are actually pretty okay dudes. They, they tried to do everything they could to not throw Jonah overboard into the sea. But then you see, starting in verse 11, this is what happens. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, they asked Jonah, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Can we just stop for a second and realize what just happened in this story? These guys who did not follow the God of Jonah, they followed their own other gods. The moment that they take Jonah and they throw him into the sea, did you see what happened? The sea calmed down. That's, that's shocking, right? If you're in that situation and you just threw over this guy, knowing that he was the reason that the storm was there, and then the storm stops, something's going to happen. And these guys do what was unthinkable when they got into the boat. They turned their hearts over to the God of Jonah. They decided that that's who they were going to follow. Now, I don't think that God necessarily wanted Jonah to go and run the opposite direction that he had asked him to run. But I will say this. I think it, all, it was all working in God's plan. This was part of the plan that God had in store for this boatload of men who didn't follow God. This was, their, this was their opportunity to see the real God at work. And what happened by the end is they gave, over, they gave their hearts over to God. You see, God performed a miracle on the water. He didn't waste this opportunity to bring a boat full of men into relationship with him, even though it was an opportunity born of one man's disobedience. God is always going to find his avenue for victory. That's one of the things we've been talking about a lot in this series. Even if you and I mess up and we don't do what we're supposed to do, this is what I love about God. He is going to find his own avenue to victory. It is not dependent on you and me. Now, it doesn't mean that we just shouldn't go ahead and try and do the things that he's wanting us to do. I actually think it gives, it gives me, uh, man, it gives us a lot of grace. I'm not dependent upon to be perfect in carrying out God's will, but I know that he can redirect me when, I'm, when I get off. He can redirect and he's going to find his way to victory. Now, while this might have seemed like a victory for this boatload of men, we still got Jonah who just got thrown into water. He got thrown into the middle of the sea, and this is not looking like a good situation for him. And so we pick up in verse 17 of chapter 1. 
It says, now the Lord provided huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, this is the point of the story where a lot of people like to say, nope, I don't believe it anymore. I don't believe this. I can buy into the fact that Jonah got thrown over and all of a sudden the storm stopped, but him falling into this, into this sea and being swallowed by a fish, living in it for three days, I, I'm done, Kellen. Now, the truth is, if you believe that Jonah was thrown into this water and the storm stopped, you believe in miracles. If you believe that, that this world was created by God, you believe that God has the ability to sort of suspend the laws of nature that we often see. Now, even if you believe that God didn't create this world or you believe that God used evolution to create this world, something came out of nothing at some point. God suspended the laws of nature at some point in history. Why couldn't he do it here? But see, we don't like, we don't like to have to just take things by faith. And so we want to try and find the fish that Jonah obviously was swallowed by. And so you'll see this on, on social media. I, I've noticed this a lot lately. A, a bunch of different people trying to explain away how anybody could be swallowed by a, a whale and survive. It's not what this story is about. See, God is the one who makes this story possible. God is the one who ultimately gets to be the focus of my faith, not the things that my eyes can see. It doesn't require me finding a fish that somebody can legitimately live inside of for three days for me to believe this story, for me to have faith. It's frustrating when we are only believing things that are explainable outside of faith. So, if I can see something with my eyes... Here's the problem. It no longer requires faith. And faith is the thing that we're getting to in this story with Jonah. Faith is the thing that we're about to see come to fruition in Jonah's life. Right now, he's in the belly of a fish. And I'm, I'm assuming at this point, all hope has been lost. I wouldn't like being in the belly of a fish. And as small as I am, I imagine that in the belly of a fish, there's not much room to move. And I get claustrophobic. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'd be freaking out. This fish would have so many black and blue marks on the inside of its sides. I don't, like, he'd be spitting me out quickly, I think, all right? But Jonah has got to be losing all hope whatsoever. In the middle of the sea, in the belly of a fish, he's in this fish. It stinks. There's nothing to eat. He's getting claustrophobic. But then something happens that turns everything around. In, in his moment of inevitable defeat, Jonah chooses to see a victory. Something happens when he's inside of this fish. And what I want to do is I want to read the whole second chapter of Jonah. It's not really long, but I think it's important for us to read the whole thing so that we, we actually understand what happens with Jonah in this moment. Starting in verse 1, it says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains, I, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me forever. But you, Lord my God, 
brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. This prophet who had been so angry at God for telling him to go to a city that he didn't want to tell people good things about God about. This prophet who had only found pessimism when God had, had given him a beautiful vision for what that city could become. This very same prophet is now praising God. From the belly of a fish, he's saying, I am going to tell people salvation comes from the Lord. See, this guy has, has totally... Everything has changed around for this guy. Verse 9, again, he said, I, with shouts of grateful, grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. He is saying this from the belly of the fish. The same guy who, when he was outside on dry ground, he couldn't go to a city that he didn't like and tell people about God. And now, inside the belly of the fish, he is praising God, he is thanking God, and he is saying salvation comes from God. He doesn't know if he's ever going to get out of that fish. He's saying this with all of his hope lost. Even if he thinks that the, the fish is going to spit him out, he's probably going to think he's going to be out in the middle of the sea. He's still going to die. But we're told that the fish spits him out. Actually, we're told that the fish vomited him out onto dry land. Now, this is the point. I, if, I've ever, if I've ever had a point where I've wanted to talk about vomiting in a story, give you a good vomiting story, this is the place where I feel like I could do it. And I'm going to be honest with you. I thought about it, but I'm not going to do it for your sake. Now, some of you, you're like, oh, I'm so glad he's not going to tell us his best vomiting story. Others of you know me really well, and you're like, I'm pretty sure he's still trying to figure out how to say it. But I'm not. I'm not going to do a vomiting story, okay? But Jonah... Before he was ever vomited out onto dry land, he chose to thank God for a future victory that he couldn't see coming. I don't want to read the whole chapter again, but I, I do want you to understand, this guy was in dire straits. In fact, I think some of this prayer actually maybe came when he was thrown into the water and he was sinking, he was going down to the bottom of the ocean. And then part of his salvation, I think, that he saw was actually this fish that came and swallowed him from being in this ocean drowning, the sea drowning. And in verse 4, things start to, to transform. He says, I have, I have banished, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. Verse 6, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. You see, every day for us can be a little bit like living in the, the belly of a fish. Every day feels a little bit like living in that pit. There's distress that every single one of us we deal with. Every day, sometimes, it feels like there's waves that are crashing over our heads. Even on good days, life is hard. And it feels like waves are crashing over us. And so even more, every day, it is hard to envision a future outside the belly of the fish. There are times in your life where you're going through stuff, and it's hard to imagine that God is going to let you out of the belly of the fish. And even if you feel like he's going to, you're like, it's going to just, he's just going to let me out in the middle of the sea and I'm going to be drowning again. But even while Jonah was in that situation, while he was in that scenario, he still chose to thank God. 
A lot of times I think the Jonah that runs far from God, it's inside of all of us. It creeps up in all of us. And so the real test for all of us is this. Can we keep our faith in God for a hidden victory to come to the surface? When that victory, we can't see it. Can we have faith that God will bring that victory? Can we thank God even when we're entrenched in a struggle that seems to have no end in sight? It is easy as followers of Jesus to still be some of the most pessimistic people in the world. You know, I think part of the thing is sometimes we believe that the world is supposed to be better than it is. And so we get so down on things and people don't act the way that we want them to and we get so judgmental. Sometimes I think God's just saying, could you just, could you just be a little bit the thankful people that I'd like you to be so that others can actually see the future victory that I've got in store? See, the beautiful part about the story is that God had things in control the whole time. He was not surprised that Jonah ran away from him, ran in the opposite direction of where he wanted to go. He wasn't surprised that there was a boat there ready to to take Jonah in that direction. And he was definitely not surprised that that boat was filled with a bunch of guys who didn't follow the God of Israel. God wasn't surprised when they threw him overboard. In fact, he even had a fish that was ready there, ready to swallow him up and to to lead him to a crazy escape escape route. See, I think it's important for us to realize the order of events that took place here. It wasn't that Jonah was released from the fish and then he went thanking God. The order of, of events was he let his heart be changed while he was in the belly of the fish and he began to thank God and then that's when rescue came. That's when he was led out onto dry land. See, a life of praise and thanksgiving is always going to be a prelude to a breakthrough. Are you wanting a breakthrough in your life? Can I just tell you, I don't think that the, the way to breakthrough is for us to be pessimistic people. For us to constantly be going, oh God, this is, everything is wrong and can you please just do something right for me? The prelude to a breakthrough is always going to be praise and thanksgiving. God wants our hearts to be changed. And once our hearts become aligned with his heart, breakthrough can start to happen. Being a follower of Jesus, trusting him as our Lord and Savior, it is not something that we can point to verifiable facts that we can see, hear, touch, smell, that yes, Jesus is who we say he is. It takes faith. Everything about about our belief, even believing what we're reading here about the book of Jonah, there is a faith parameter that we've got to buy into. Faith is at the center of who we are and what we are in Jesus. And sometimes we have to thank God ahead of times before we see the victory come about. Uh, can I tell you, it was a scary, it was a scary thing for, for me and Eric when we started thinking through, um, is, do we want to purchase this church right now? The, the opportunity is there. Uh, do we want to purchase this building? And it was kind of freaky. Because we didn't have all the time to, to set things up in the way that we felt like we should. You know, we would, have, we would have loved to have done a, a capital campaign and said, hey, can, can you help us to, to figure out how to pay for this down payment? But God did things in a different order. He's like, hey, here's the opportunity. Let's, let's go with it. And so sometimes you thank God for something before you see exactly how it's going to come about. It's scary for us to say, hey, God, I'm going to commit. I'm going to commit this amount of money to you at, at, in, a, in an offering at the end of the year. I'm going to commit to giving to you over the next two years. 
We don't, we don't know what our futures hold. We don't know the things that are going to come in that, that may hit us financially. And so it's hard for us to do those kinds of things. It's hard for us to thank God and to go after something that we can't see the victory for it ahead of time. It's scary for us to see loved ones who are far from God and not knowing how that story is going to end. But we can choose to thank God. We can choose to believe, just like the passage says, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That he loves us. He loves my family even more than I could possibly love them. That he was willing to die for them when they were at their worst. And he is wanting none to perish. And so when, when it's hard for me to believe that God wants to do awesome things in my family and bring family members to him who are far from him, it's easy for me to be pessimistic. But sometimes I need to thank God for something that I don't necessarily see with my own eyes ahead of time. There is a reason why we can thank God and why we can live in this place of praise even when we can't see what's ahead. The reason is because we follow one who is better than Jonah. We follow one who is greater than Jonah. You see, Jonah was actually a precursor to Jesus himself. Jesus talks about his own death and he talks about his own death in light of the death that Jonah went through through this fish. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12. Jonah was three days and three nights in the stomach of a big fish. The son of man will be three days and three nights in the grave also. See, someone greater than Jonah is here. This is how Timothy Keller explained this. He said, Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. See, Jesus lived a life that was a storm itself. And he lived in that storm for you and me. Jesus was cast out into a storm so that you and I could be saved. Just like when Jonah was cast out into that sea to save the people in that boat. Jesus came into this world and he was cast out into a storm so that you and I in the boat could find salvation. Jesus is the greater Jonah. There is one that we have faith in that is better than anything that we could absolutely imagine. What Jesus gives us is beyond our comprehension. Jesus is our promise for a future victory. Jesus alone is the only reason that we need in order to give a life of thanks, no matter what storm is going on in your life today. Jesus is the reason for us to live in a state of optimism rather than pessimism. And Jesus is the reason that we can run headfirst towards that place that we don't want to be going to, that we're scared of going to. He's the reason we can run straight towards that instead of in the opposite direction, which is where we want to go. See, today, I think that there might be a future victory that God is asking you to see right now that he's asking you to believe in, that he's asking you to thank him for before it actually happens? Is there something that he's calling you to place your faith in him for? Something that might be a stretch for you. See, you got to remember that for Jonah, the prelude to a breakthrough was that he took the time to thank God for something, to praise God for something that wasn't there yet. This sounds a little bit like a Thanksgiving message, but I think God is calling us to become people of thanks. Every single one of us, man, we struggle with that pessimistic attitude at times. Let's ask God to to check our spirits this week. In that moment when I'm starting to lose faith that God can do something good with whatever situation that I'm seeing, 
Lord, would you check me in that moment so that I would be a person of optimism, that I would be a person that would thank you for the thing that I can't yet see. Give me the eyes to see things that I no longer, that I not yet can actually see so that I can believe in you for things that, that are gonna happen in the future. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.